was time for the test. The devil, the savviest of all creatures in the fallen world, was ready, steady, hiding in the wings to make his move. Watching Jesus, God's man-child, Holy Spirit beguiled, stepped out into the wild, praying and fasting, outlasting the need for food, and alone, with no human interaction, he banished himself from the world's distraction, and Satan, waiting and watching, cunningly devised a plan of action. He surveyed the scene with keen snake eyes, open wide, street-wise, armed with an arsenal of half-truth and lies, so sly. Faking genuine concern, he said, Hello, son. Are you hungry, child? I see you haven't eaten. What a shame. I have nothing to offer you. But I do have a simple solution. You could make a substitution. See those stones over there? Turn them into bread. Go ahead. You're God's son. Just speak the word and it will be done. But Jesus was not deceived by smooth talk, walked straight up and with clear eyes open wide, defied the questions and subtle suggestions. From God's own law, he read, it takes more than bread to stay alive. I know what you contrive and what you're about. To survive, it requires words that only God inspires. But the devil, he was not ready to conceive plan to succeed because he knew how to play this game. His dead arm had always worked to disarm his friends. Child, misread my good intentions. I simply intervention, he lied. Let me try to rectify this unfortunate misunderstanding. So he took him to a holy city and sat him high above it on the very top of the temple. You are the great son of God, the holy one. So then, jump. You're not afraid. Go ahead, step out in faith. Just trust. The old man will take care of you. He won't fail you. He will bail you out. It's written in this book of yours, isn't it? He placed you in the care of angels to protect you. They won't reject you. They will catch you, sustain you, embrace you, if you are the Son of God. Ah, yes, the Lord agreed. What you say is true, but I know you and what you do, so make no miscalculation. I don't debate, negate, or mistake God's word. I don't assume or presume. I don't hesitate or manipulate. I cooperate with my Father God. No doubt what you left out, God also wrote about. He said, I am God. You don't play me. You don't manipulate me. You don't force my hand because I leave nothing unplanned. Don't you dare tempt the Lord your God. And the adversary, well, he just smiled and tried another strategy. My dear boy, you're confused. Ah, I know. Here's an offer you can't refuse. And he led him up to the top of the great mountain and spread out the kingdoms of the world on display all at once. 
And then he said, they're yours in all their splendor, all to serve your pleasure. I'm in charge of them all, don't you see? Could it be clearer? This is preordained because I have eminent domain, and I can turn them over to whoever I wish. Worship me, and they're yours. Everything. I have won, he thought, all of this at my disposal. He will surely accept this proposal. But Jesus' reply was swift and concise. I have already refused you twice before. Be gone. He backed his rebuke with a third quotation, taking his stance on the firm foundation of God's word. Worship the Lord your God with pure heart emotion and serve him only with absolute devotion, for reserved for God alone. And the test was completed, and the devil retreated temporarily. Amen. Well, good morning, Joliet First. It is so good to be back with you again. I'm excited to see you. I hope you're excited to see me. Maybe not, but I'm excited to see you. It has been a great two weeks. Uh, it felt like two weeks. Uh, I guess it was a week and a half, but it's been a good two weeks. Uh, before we start, I just want to just touch on a few things that Seth has already talked about. This next upcoming week, we'll have somebody near and dear to me named Shane Ash, who is one of my best friends, one of my greatest mentors. In fact, if it weren't for him, I wouldn't be here. Uh, if it weren't for him, I probably wouldn't even be a Christian. And next Sunday, he's going to come and bring God's word to us in the morning. And then he'll be speaking the rest of the week at this Holiness Summit. So if I can encourage you, not just to come because you feel obligated, but I truly believe that God is going to do something amazing when all of our churches gather together at Crystal Lawns uh, next week on Sunday night and then Monday through Wednesday. I think God's going to do some amazing things. So I would ask that you would come and be part of that. Uh, if you need rides, give us a call, let us know, we can help you out with that in any way. The second thing is, we have just started a new season in the Christian calendar called Lent. Now, how many of you know what Lent is? Okay, a few of you. Some of you are like, is that like a Jewish holiday? Like, I'm not really sure what Lent is. Well, just so you understand, Lent is not a Jewish holiday. It's not a time where we beat ourselves. Uh, but it is a time where we begin to understand and we begin to journey with Jesus 40 days all the way up into the most powerful moment ever in history, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so through Lent, what we, what we do in Lent is we recognize not only Jesus' humanity and not only his temptation, but we recognize our humanity and what we are like without him. And so if you don't uh, uh, look at Lent or participate in Lent, let me encourage you this year to do three practices that we do every year, and that is to fast something. We don't fast as, as a sign of piety or a sign of greatness. We fast of reminding us who we are without God. You see, the moment that you give something up, it should be a reminder to, of to whose you are. And, and in that moment that you fast, we also ask that you would give something in place. So if you are giving up food and your stomach is hungry, we would ask that you not only be hungry, but maybe that you find yourself in a time of prayer with God. So we fast, we give, and we pray. Lent literally Ash Wednesday literally changed 
my life, and if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be here. So, anyway, this morning I'm excited. We're starting a new series called Worlds Apart. Now, Worlds Apart is a difficult concept. To, to, to grasp, and so the best way that I can give a backdrop to this is the last 11 days that we spent in Mexico. You see, there was this beautiful moment where three different countries, a country from Costa Rica, the United States, and Mexico, all decided that they would put aside their nationalities, their nations, their countries, their politics, their color, their language differences. And they would gather united under the name of Jesus Christ. And they would descend upon a village to change the face of that world right there. It was absolutely amazing. I wish you could have been there. But think about this. Three different worlds coming together in one moment to literally create one reality where people began to experience God in a fresh new way. Worlds apart. Worlds that are apart now part together in unity to serve God. This is kind of the idea that we're working with uh, during our Lenten season. That as we look at the stories of Jesus, we see this synonymous contrast of two different worlds that are completely apart, converging together to to be connected. What I mean is that as Jesus comes to us through life and through story, he begins to speak into our current reality of the world as we know it. But not only does he does that, he becomes a physical expression of the reality in which he lives. And see, we've been under the mindset that these two are separate, but what Jesus does is he says, this is what it looks like when you take the world you live in and the world that I live in, and we converge them together in this one unified world, and we call it the kingdom of heaven. And it's this beautiful little place that theologians call thin spaces, where we don't know the difference between heaven and earth. Have you ever been in those moments where you don't know the difference between heaven and earth? This is what we mean by worlds apart. I'm excited. If you, uh, if you have friends, uh, we would ask you, this is the time to invite. We've got to learn to be an inviting people. Uh, we really do. You have got to tell your friends about the new series, about what God is doing on our church, how he's changing lives. This would be the time to do it, especially during Lent. So this morning, would you stand with me as we read Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 he was hungry. Thank you, Matthew, for being Captain Obvious. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the, on the highest point of the temple. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test, for I am the one that does the testing, my friend. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And all this I will give you, he said, if you simply bow down and you begin to worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan. Away from me, you accuser. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him 
only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. This is the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there is one thing that I absolutely love in life, and it is mountains. Last summer, the opportunity, I even love mountaintop views. Last summer, I had the opportunity to go hiking in the Glacier National Park where we afforded one of the most beautiful views I've ever seen in my life at the top of a mountain. I think we have a picture of that. A group of guys went out there, and we went hiking. That was my neighbor, Tim, at the time. And what a beautiful view that we had at the top. The last 11 days in Mexico, uh, mountains mountains, and mountaintops provided us some of the most beautiful vistas of southern Chiapas I've ever seen in my life. Here's one of those that we took at like 5 in the morning. It was a gorgeous view. If you were to, if you were to join us over the last week and a half, you, if you were to stayed where I stayed, there was a patio that went out, and it overlooked the mountains. It was absolutely gorgeous. I love mountains. There's something about climbing to the top of a mountain where you begin to see this vast vista with valleys that are plant-filled and and carved crags of mountains on the top. There's something so gorgeous about mountaintops. Now, there are things that I hate in life. I hate deserts. How many of you really don't like the desert? My in-laws live in Phoenix. Phoenix is great in the winter for about a week, and I'm ready to go home. Uh, there's just something like I lived in the desert. I served in the army when I when we were in the desert. Uh, but I absolutely loathe the desert. This story this morning really bothers me for some reason. I think it has to do with with something. Uh, it has to do a little bit with the passages. It's a difficult passage. It's deep. It's very nuanced. It's difficult to understand. But I think what bothers me the most. I really hate preaching this passage. I hate we start with Lent with this passage every time. And the reason I don't like it, I think, is because of the setting. Think about this. Jesus, the Son of God, who was baptized in this moment, is suddenly sent out into the wilderness, sent out into the desert. And this place is literally known as devastation in English. It's the place of devastation. So you have all these these naked rocks that are so sharp, and you have limestone that is peeling from the heat. You literally have this 35-mile-long and 15-mile-wide place where it is just so hot, it is like a furnace glowing on a cold winter's day when you go in, and it's just hot and burning. This is not a place that you want to be. And yet Jesus finds himself in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of the desert, But what is odd about this story, the one thing that has captured my attention about this story is the fact that not only do we find Jesus wandering in the wilderness, but we also find him on the magnitude of the mountaintops. And what I want us to see this morning is these are not two separate visuals. These are not two worlds that are apart, but rather these are two worlds that are converging upon Jesus at one time. Which leads me to this question. This is the question I've been asking for the last two weeks in my mind. What if mountaintop moments are made in the wilderness? What if mountaintop moments are made in the wilderness? 
what if the greatest way that we could experience the presence of God is not on these mountaintop moments where everything is perfect, but rather it is through the struggle and a journey that we never anticipated being on? Have you ever considered that your greatest success might come from your most tragic failure? Have you ever considered, have you ever considered that perhaps goodness would come out of one of the worst situations you've ever faced in your life? Have you ever considered that perhaps you might experience light out of darkness? Have you ever considered that perhaps hope, you've been given a newfound appreciation of hope because of the despair that you have lived in for so long? Maybe your understanding of a mountaintop experience has come from the wilderness. Now this morning, this is a difficult text. And I think some of us tend to misinterpret what we mean by this idea of temptation. Let me differentiate between the two. See, we need to know the difference between temptation and tragedy. There is a difference between temptation and tragedy. There are some of you over the last year who have experienced tragedy, unexpected deaths, natural calamities, tragic events in your life that you never saw coming. And then you have these weird Christians who show up in your life and tell you it's all part of God's plan. It's all part of his purpose. It's all about God drawing you into him. That's a complete lie. Do I believe that God, God can, that we can be close to God in those moments? Yes. But I do not believe in a God that use, uses tragic moments to, to show you his love or to draw you into his love. Tragedy is different than temptation. You see, temptation, this word that is used here in the text this morning, actually takes us back to this journey with Abraham, where he is asked to sacrifice his son, who was the covenant, who was the one that he had waited for his whole life. And what's interesting is that for Abraham, the covenant became more important than the relationship with the one who gave him the covenant. And so God decides in this moment, I need to prove about Abraham. I need to test Abraham to see if he is willing to give up the covenant that I gave him for a relationship with me. If he is willing to sacrifice his son for a relationship and obedience to me. Jesus this morning is no different. You see, Jesus is being handed the kingdom of heaven. He is being handed the keys to God's world. He is being handed uh, this opportunity to be the savior of the world. And God says it will not come without a test. It will not come without you proving something. You see, any time we find ourselves in the wilderness, any time we find ourselves in a test, we must understand that God is trying to prove something about our relationship with him. There's a difference between tragedy and temptation. Now this morning we get a, a, a picture of the wilderness. There are three, I hate three-point sermons, but I'm going to give you three different characteristics this morning. I'm going against everything I believe when it comes to preaching. And um, as I begin to look at the wilderness this morning, I noticed a few things. The first is this, is that at the beginning of the story, it says Jesus was led by the Spirit, by the Spirit, who is God, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, I struggle with this. 
Why would God lead his son into the wilderness? And what I began to learn is that wilderness is not a matter of if, it is when. Matterness, or wilderness, is inevitable. Wilderness is inevitable. Now, I'm sorry, but we operate under the notion that the majority of our Christian life will be on a mountaintop. Now, we know that wilderness exists, but somehow we are always surprised when they show up. We, 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 it's always like the element of surprise. All of a sudden, this difficult, devastating moment comes into our life, and it's almost like we have no clue how to respond. And the reality is, is we have not prepared ourselves for the inevitable. We have not prepared ourselves for the wilderness that is going to come at some point in your life. And, and we have to understand that we must come down from these mountaintops just for a moment. You see, there's this kind of rule in the Christian life that goes like this. When you have these really meaningful, really impactful, really present-filled spiritual moments where you are so connecting with God that you are on a spiritual high, inevitably there is a spiritual low that is soon to follow. You ever prayed for patience? You ever been around people? Right? We, we pray for patience. God, give me the gift of patience. Give me the gift of your love in this moment. And he grants it to us, but we actually don't want to practice the very patience that he gave us. Because it's too difficult. We want the spiritual high of being the, given the gift. We just don't want the spiritual low of practicing it. And we must understand that whenever there is a spiritual high in your life, you must be prepared to begin to live God in that low, in that very moment. Our church is a perfect example of this. We have been calling our people to prayer for the next year. We are committing to prayer. I have witnessed people pray in my life over the last 11 days like I've never seen before. But we have been committing our lives to prayer. And I find that as we begin to pray, and as lives are beginning to be changed, there is always this low. Some of you are the low. I hate to tell you that. But some of us are the low. And I would love for you to begin to recognize that maybe you are in the low. And that maybe God is calling you to the new height today. That, that you are the one that is dragging everything that God is wanting to do down. And so I'm asking that you become over the next year a people of prayer. That we will not only be experience the spiritual high, but we will learn how to live in the spiritual low. So spirit, or the wilderness is inevitable. The second thing that I learned this week about wilderness is that I want you to look at verse 8 real quick. It says again, the devil took him to a mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this you want, I will give you, he said. You just need to worship me. Now here's the reality. There is no place in the world where you can go to a mountaintop and literally see all the kingdoms of the world. There is no place on the earth that you can do that. And so what I think what Matthew is wanting us to understand this morning is that this is not an outward experience, but it is an inward struggle. The wilderness is inward. You see, what Jesus is beginning to experience is this struggle within his mind, within his heart, within his soul. It is everything about him in this moment. It is an inward struggle. Now, one thing that 
I've noticed about our struggles in life is we give this, I don't even want to call it a person. We give Satan, whatever it be, way too much credit. Have you ever heard people say, well, Satan made me do it? No, what happened was there was a spiritual battle of cosmic proportions in your head, and you simply chose the wrong decision. You simply chose the wrong decision. And that's what Matthew is wanting us to understand this morning, is that when we begin to, that Satan is a matter of the mind and not necessarily about matter. And this is why Paul tells us you must have the mind of Jesus Christ. You see, the whole wilderness journey is about which mind will win. And we wonder in the wilderness why we aren't winning because we don't have the mind of Jesus Christ. I can tell you now, if you are not shaped by the thinking of God, by the living of God, by the movement of Jesus Christ, you will fail every time. You will constantly choose the wrong decision. But you must understand that wilderness is an inward struggle. And you need to know and recognize when you are in that moment. The third thing that we have to understand is that if, if wilderness is about the game of the minds, it's also the games of the untruths that m move us to an individual experience. Wilderness is individual. Have you ever noticed the response of somebody who's been in a difficult time? There was a response of retreat. Is wilderness, wilderness not the time? It is a response of retreat. You see, I find it funny. There are moments in our lives where something difficult is our life, and we want to move away from the very ones who love us the most. You see, the, the untruths that are told in our minds are that you are simply alone, and so we think that we must be alone. And so we, we kind of seclude ourselves from other people. We, we quit using people are, who are there to support us. We quit talking to God about the situation we're in, and we rely on our own strength and our own power. And what the wilderness wants to do to you is wants to isolate you and think that the Christian life is about the individual life. I hate it when people say, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. No, you have a communal relationship with Jesus. And the only way that it's fostered is in this place. I love it when Jesus, at the end, it says the angels attended him. Can I just say, instead of drawing back, can you recognize the angels that are in front of you? Look to the partner next to you. You are an angel. Come on. You are an angel. Have you ever considered that God has brought this church, God has brought this community together to be angels who are tending to each other's needs? Can I warn you against the lie of inward living? Can I warn you against the lie of seclusion? Because it, it is when we are alone that we will give in to the temptations and into the tests. So we've had three different wilderness experiences, three different characteristics of inevitability, of, of, of inward focus, inward struggle, and individuality. So you're asking me this morning, what do we do in the wilderness? I think what I, I want us to understand today is that the wilderness is where mountaintop experiences are made. 
How many of you this morning are in the middle of devastation? How many of you this morning would say, I'm in the middle of a desert. I am in the middle of a wilderness. I am in the middle of a, of, a, of a cosmic struggle, and I don't know how to get out. How many of you would just say that this morning? It's okay to raise your hand. Okay, I'm, I'm the only one this morning. I'll raise both hands. Here's what I want you to know this morning. The mountaintop experience of trust is built on the test in the wilderness. The mountaintop experience of trust is built in the test in the wilderness. In other words, testing is about leading us to trust, not compromise. This is what I want you to know this morning. Temptation leads to trust, not to compromise. How many times have we found ourselves in difficult situations, difficult moments, and we've, we've compromised our way out of them? Have you ever considered that perhaps you don't know how to trust God because you're continually compromising your way out of the wilderness? Uh, Mexico, for me, was a perfect example. Some of you are like, great pastor, you went on a mission trip. How, what's difficult about that? You have to understand, I've not been out of the country for 13 years since I was deployed. When I was deployed, I had military pilots, I had military planes, I had people next to me, in front of me that I knew that I trusted. I also had protection in front of me, behind me, and I was carrying protection. But now all of a sudden, 13 years later, I think it's taken me 13 years to get here. I'm going to be trusting Mexican pilots, Mexican planes, Mexican taxis, people I've never met in my life, and I'm going to have to trust them. And the whole time, Kathy is saying to me, Miss Kathy is saying, Pastor, God's got it. <laughs> Pastor, God's got it. And at one point, I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, Kathy, shh. <laughs> you see, I knew it with my mind, but I did not feel it in my heart. And what I learned this week is God used the wilderness of Mexico to allow me to experience mountaintop moments that I've been dreaming of for months. You've heard me stand up here multiple times and say, there's got to be something more than life to just this. Regimented church, regimented jobs, regimented family life, and cell phones. Uh, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And what I learned is when I said yes to the wilderness of Mexico, not easy. It took Kathy 50 times of saying, God's got it for me to get it. If I wouldn't have said yes to that wilderness, I would not have watched 81 kids come to a VBS in one day. I would have not watched 90 teenagers come to a soccer field to learn about Jesus Christ. I would not have watched groups go into homes out in the community and evangelize about how God could truly change their life. In a day and a half, we watched 40 people give their lives to Jesus Christ. 40 people. When is the last time you saw 40 people come to Christ? I can, that's right. It was exciting. In my entire existence as a Christian, I do not know that I've ever seen 40 people come to Christ. But in a day and a half, I watched 40 people come to know Jesus. I had the opportunity to get up at 4 in the morning and go hike to the top of a mountain where I had the opportunity to, to pray with one of my brothers from Costa Rica. We didn't even speak the same language. We didn't even know what we were saying. But we began to pray for each other. We prayed for each other's families. We prayed for each other's ministry. We prayed for each other's churches. And we watched the sunrise together. 
I was able to stand in this beautiful waterfall. I mean, these are mountaintop moments, but only because I said yes to the wilderness that God wanted to test me in. And I got to say, I got to say, the whole time I'm asking, what is wrong with us? What are we doing wrong, God? Why do we not have 40 people coming to Christ? And the reality is, he said, you don't trust him. You don't really trust him. This morning, I'm taking a shower. I don't know why God God speaks to me in showers, but I, I love it. But God said, I want you to pray that 50 people will come to know Christ over the next year. And at first, I thought, my mind, that's too many, Lord. I mean, we're only a church of like 130, you know, whatever. And, and I said, that's too much. What about, what about 20? And he said, no, I want you to pray for 50. But the reality is, and what I told folks this morning, if you are not praying for those 50 people, it will never happen. If you are not trusting that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is enough to change a life, if you will not pray for that, it will never happen. So I'm asking you that every morning that you get up to say your prayers, and I get up in the morning to say my prayers, as we do that together as a church, would you pray for those 50 people? For those of you taking notes, write that down. There are 50 people that want to know Jesus today and throughout this next year. And we need to pray that God would work in their lives. So this morning I want to give you hope. Can I give you hope this morning? See, I think we have the wrong lens when it comes to this idea of testing. I think we have the wrong lens when it comes to wilderness. Wilderness is not meant to make us sin. It it is what enables us to conquer sin. It is not meant to make us bad, but it's to make us good. It's not to weaken us, but it's to strengthen us. Temptation is not the penalty of being a person. Temptation is the glory of being fully alive and fully human and being able to say to the devil, you have no power over me. The beauty of temptation is we will find mountaintop experiences. We will find the fullness and the beauty of God in the wilderness. We will begin to see that God is taking something that feels as though it's completely apart and bringing it together to be a part of one another. So what do you do? What do you do this morning? Can I ask you to experience God's presence while embracing the wilderness? Sometimes we cannot see past our own struggle. We cannot see how God is wanting to really give us an understanding, a fullness of who he is, because all we can see is the struggle in front of us. And so this morning I'm asking that you would embrace his presence in the midst of the wilderness. This last weekend, I, we went to a cathedral in Mexico City. By the way, Mexico City stinks. I, but it was fun. It was fun. We went to this beautiful cathedral. And I, and I wanted to buy a cross while I was there. I haven't had a cross in a long time, but I wanted to have a cross. And I went and I, I looked at all these crosses at this cathedral. And there was this one that, that I found and I thought, this is exactly what I'm, I'm experiencing. And so you'll see that this looks like a normal cross with Jesus hanging on it. Yeah, and I know Jesus isn't there anymore. I wish I could hang the resurrection on my neck, but nobody seems to make resurrection like tombstones, necklaces. So 
<laughs> it looks just like a cross. But as you begin to look at the back, there is God holding his son's arm. I don't think that God placed him on the cross. We did that. But what I do know is that Jesus right here in this moment is one of the greatest wildernesses he's ever experienced. Yet he, he is experiencing a mountaintop moment with God because God is sustaining him through that difficulty and devastation. This is you today. God is behind you. He has wrapped his arms around you. And this morning, I want you to know that he holds you up. You are not alone. He is the one that is sustaining you, that is keeping you alive. I want this morning our, our, those who are serving the table to come forward. The beauty of the table in our church is this is a response to the message. We believe this is a response to what God is wanting to do in your life. And maybe you simply need some grace today. You need some love today. We believe that this is the place where God offers that. And so when you feel ready, you can come up. But I want to do something different as well. I want to speak to those of you who are in complete devastation, who find yourself in the wilderness, and you are not sure how you can move forward. Maybe you have never in your life trusted God the way you should be. This morning, I, I'm going to be standing in the corner so we, we won't make a scene together. But if you would like for me to pray for you, if you would like to say yes to God in this moment where you will trust him for everything in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this test as he tests out your faith, if you want to say yes to that, would you come over and just let me pray for you? Would you let me pray for you that God would give you strength? That God would encourage you and that you would feel his presence in the midst of the wilderness. Let me pray. Lord, we submit our lives to you. What a beautiful story of two worlds converging on your son, Jesus Christ, who now takes the wilderness and makes it a mountaintop experience where we begin to experience the fullness of God. Lord, this morning I pray for those who find themselves in the middle of devastation, in the middle of the desert, in the middle of a struggle. And I pray that you would begin to break down the walls. That they would see that this is simply a test of faith. That the test is about leading them to trust in you. Lord, help us to see the beauty of our difficulty. Help us to find the joy some of the worst situations we're put in. So Lord, we, we raise our hands, we give everything that we are to you in this day. And we know that you will work miracles in our life. In Jesus' name.